Welcome to the RAB Poetry Podcast, where we bring you the stories behind the words, where every poem has a story behind it. Our podcast is a journey through the hearts and minds of poets as we delve into the inspirations, struggles, and triumphs that fuel their work. In each episode, we'll feature a poem, sharing the underlying stories and reciting the most powerful and moving pieces. From various poems on wide variety of topics and rising poets and authors, our podcast is the perfect companion for anyone who loves poetry and the power of words. Whether you're a seasoned poetry enthusiast or just getting started, you'll find something to love on the RAB Poetry Podcast. So tune in and let the stories of our poets take you on a journey of inspiration and emotion. Listen to the REB Poetry Podcast, available on all major platforms now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Fandom Power. It's uh, Fandor. It is the penultimate episode, as we only have one more to go. One more left of this uh, season. Um, my head was uh, swimming this week. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's us. It's uh, me, Wes Arscott. Obviously, I'm uh, I'm a host here. <laughs> yes, you are. But I've got these two other dudes that just show up here every weekend, uh, weekend in and out, and uh, here we are. All the rogues are here tonight. Andrew, Dahl, folks? yo, Hank McLaughlin. What's going on? Here we are. Um, listen, guys, as I said before, this is our second to last episode of this review series, and I hope you guys have been enjoying this as much as we have. It's bittersweet already, <laughs> isn't it, though? Yeah, yeah, man. This was a long, long haul, actually. This is the if, longest of the series we've covered. It is. Yeah. Hands down, it is. Yeah. Uh, 12 episodes. Um, if this is your first time with us, welcome. Um, why didn't you find us sooner? Uh, however, thank you for being here. And of course, to everyone that has been here all along, nice to have you back. And if you're just finding us, that's cool too. Go yeah. back and watch the other stuff. <laughs> Welcome uh, aboard. As I have always said, and I will say it again, you can think of us as the annotated book or annotated audiobook, as it were, uh, for and or as our reviews are beat for beat and we cover all the plot points, all the Easter eggs, as well as any of the greater Star Wars lore connections that we just happened to stumble on throughout the show. And uh, there's lots. <laughs> yes, there is. Man. And if you think you've heard it all because you've watched all those other guys, we're not those other guys. So uh, I, hope, I hope you do stick around and uh, see what you may have missed out on before. But it's not fan service. Is it? <laughs> Maybe from us. Well, <laughs> um, so on that note, Tony Gilroy, <laughs> Tony Gilroy has made, uh, made a comment. Uh, I don't know if it was this week um uh, on the plethora of easter eggs in luthan's gallery and he's totally blamed it on the art department huh. good on you, you guys art, art department, department. Excellent. I, I had no idea it was in there <laughs> that's fantastic uh, keep doing it uh new feature here on the show it's that time once again for another installment of bad star wars jokes this week's bad Star Wars joke comes courtesy of Andy. I don't know where he pulled this one from, I but um, Google search. Okay, thank what? you, Google. <laughs> this one made me chuckle. Guys, what did everyone call Lando Calrissian before he became a really good pilot? I don't 
no. Crash dough calrissian. No. <laughs> Star Wars hey, dad jokes. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we do one of these, um, it hasn't, it, it, it has not lost its enamor for me. No, it's good. We're going to have to start um, making them up though. Like yeah. it, there's only about five on, on Google. <laughs> Listen guys, if you have a bad Star Wars joke, please send us, a, send it along to us uh, at any of our social media outlets, or you can email your bad Star Wars joke to us at uh, fandompower3 at gmail.com. And this has been another installment of bad Star Wars jokes. Listen, before we get into the breakdown, I just want to let everybody know we've had a little bit of an influx uh, over at the YouTube channel. Uh, we are presently sitting at, uh, I didn't check it before I came in the door tonight, but 88, uh, 88. today. So that means in the last 30 days, we've had a significant uh, bump. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, is it time to run a contest? Why not do a contest? It might be time to run a contest. Well, here's what we're going to do. Um, we've, uh, what are we doing here? Um, uh, I'm going to say this. If we can get to 100 subscribers by the 31st of December, um, we'll do a little bit of a giveaway. Mm-hmm. If we can get to 100 subscribers uh, before that date, let's just, I'm going to pull this out for a second because I need the camera. I need the real estate here. Oh, there you go. If we can get to 100 subscribers by December 31st, I will send one lucky subscriber this brand new in-box Star Wars The Black Series Imperial Clone Trooper. I think this is the, uh, they call him the Shock Trooper. Mm. Um you may know know them as the Coruscant Guard. I'm subscribing right now. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Does it matter that I've subscribed four times? Nah. Nah. <laughs> because that's not self-serving at all. Um, well, that's pretty good though, isn't it? Uh, Hundred subscribers good. if we can get to uh, if we can get yeah. there by the by the end of the at the end of the year. That's a good start. Probably do more. You think year. so? wait a minute now so but there's there's a bit of an ask here so i know we've asked it before and we're going to ask again please tell your friends tell your, friend. tell your family tell everybody in the world that you think likes star wars and other uh, uh pop culture stuff that we like to talk about get them to subscribe if we can get to 200 subscribers in the same time frame hank what do you think we could do oh my why is that general grievous it could that is general grievous all right guys if we can get to 200 subscribers in the same time not only will we give away this clone shock trooper but we will also give away that general grievous what i want you to do is i want you to keep a look on the channel because we're going to have a short uh, contest video that's going to have all the details on exactly what you need to do uh, to get in and we'll be watching the numbers uh, and come the end of the year, there may or may not be a draw for one or possibly two action figures. So tell everybody, you know, and good luck to everyone out there. You better subscribe or I'm going to open it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, before we get down uh, to the nitty gritty, let's talk about just sort of uh, uh, general thoughts and feelings about this week's episode. This one is uh, daughter of Ferrix. The tagline should be, you'll believe a droid can cry. 
<sighs> Opening with a gut punch. What a show. Oh, man. I got to tell you, I wrote my notes um, from the perspective that I actually believed that that was fluid between his lenses. It's very possible. Yeah, I don't really. Metaphorically yeah. speaking, it's the same. They've achieved the same thing. Mm-hmm. Although I now understand from the descriptive audio that it's it's not fluid between his eyes. But mm-hmm. hey, you interpret it the way you want. That's you right. know what? The heat had been off. He's a warm droid. Condensation builds up. That is true. That's true. Maybe it just builds up in the right spot. Um, you know, for weeks I've been saying this. We've talked many times offline, both uh, in person as well as in our private chats. And I've said, you know, there's always these shows always have like at least one filler episode. And I keep waiting for the writing to drop off. Like they, they just kind of came in. We know it's a slow burn. We all kind of went that, Oh yeah. Three episodes work as a prologue, but you you got through that and it just, and it it just elevated to this high bar, very high bar. And just, it stayed there throughout. I, I can honestly say I don't feel like there has been a drop in the in the consistency or the quality of the writing on this show. No, no, no. It's it's pretty incredible, actually. We got a bit of wars in the stars this week. Mm, finally got some. Uh, we got the whiz bang. <laughs> we got the whiz bang that I think uh, we were eagerly anticipating based pretty on crazy the, uh, too. the marketing. Uh, got a pretty cool twist on that. So uh, satisfying to watch. Mm. so so satisfying to watch i made way more slides than i need to on this <laughs> oh my gosh uh any more for any more before we get right into it oh we got our first comment oh hey we got a comment coming in from sean on youtube says that's a cool figure which one yeah. sean which one are you talking about because i think they're both cool they're both pretty darn they cool are freakishly freakishly yeah cool. wes and i are just going to trade them if you guys don't uh, <laughs> we're just going to mail the them back and forth to each that's other right. <laughs> All right, then, uh, without any further ado, let's get down to it. This one is Andor episode 11. It's uh, Fandor number what, eight? <laughs> Something like that. Fandor eight, yeah. I guess, because we did the. Uh, well, well, no, we did one. We were separates, though. So although we, are, we, we recorded them very, <laughs> very back to back to back. All right. It's been eight weeks, though. It has. Yeah. Okay. So it's uh, 11. This one is Daughter of Ferrix. It aired uh, Wednesday, November 16th in uh, 2022 this one written by tony gilroy directed by benjamin caron uh who way you may remember directed uh episode seven uh that was announcement it has an advertised runtime of 46 minutes just like last week or an actual 37 minutes and 44 seconds if you skip over your titles and your end credit sequence all right so the episode opens with uh, Cassian and Melshi clinging to the face of an open quarry. Now, they've managed to shear down the uh, sheer wall, maybe 20 feet or so, and their hands and feet are bloodied and uh, uh, bloodied from the bare rock. Now, it's a perilous perch because if either man were to fall at this point, it would most certainly be fatal as the drop to the shoreline is uh, hundreds of feet. Well, then the sound of twin ion engines rumble overhead and a tie reaper passes by in a gentle, gentle circular search arc and through gritted teeth. Melshi complains that he can't feel his hands and Cassian tries to reassure him with they're leaving. You get the impression that the two men have been clutching this rock face for some time 
And Cassian has really been Melshi's cheerleader throughout this because Melshi says, don't say that. But then he quickly changes tune and he asks Cassian to actually tell him, tell me they're leaving, which he does, which is inspirational. <laughs> uh, miraculously, by the way, the Thai Reaper doesn't spot the two men and it actually does uh, fly off. You think they would um, stick out being uh, all white and orange against the rock back. Well, there is that. Depending on how fast the guy's flying, he wouldn't be looking. The uh, orange striping, really. <laughs> uh, Follow-up comment from Sean. Oh, Sean is talking how cool that General Grievous looks. Nice. I agree. He's super cool. Underwhelming in the in the films, but uh, an awesome, awesome figure and an awesome uh, scary villain in the Tartakovsky series. He, he, I was just going to say he was amazing yeah. in the Tartakovsky. Yeah, he's, uh, he's like terrifying in that yeah. one. <laughs> Talk about the TIE Reaper here for a second. This is uh, one of uh, two TIE Fighter variants that were introduced back in 2016 in uh, Rogue One. Now, this one is uh, designed as a high-speed troop carrier designed specifically for battlefield insertion. Now, unlike most TIE variants, this one is equipped with both, sorry guys, both shields and a hyperdrive, meaning that it can operate for short periods, uh, up to five days without a support ship or installation. And uh, in addition to the pilot, the Reaper can uh, carry a communications operator and up to 10 troops. Um, I, I threw in the uh, the cockpit view from the uh, Star Wars Squadrons game because I thought, oh, it's a beautiful. Uh, yeah, we don't get to see that uh, in any of the live action stuff. So uh, thank you for uh, what is it? EA and, and Dice for doing that for us. Yeah, that game is <laughs> wicked. Uh, I still like it. And it was a free expansion, too. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, in a crossfade, we transition to Ferrix, where we see a blurry mass of light, uh, which I thought was from B2's perspective. The view, as I said before, I initially thought was from inside his ocular lens. Yeah. And the metaphor here is that B2 is crying. Mm. Did anybody not think that? I'd, no. I certainly don't think cups of tea can see. Right. It's an interesting, interesting, uh, filming choice if it's not him crying it, so the descriptive audio actually says it's the fluid and it's the teacup mm. hmm. and that got me that i'm like what and sure it, it it makes sense um and i even i go i made some note here about how he's been written as the loyal dog and my initial thought was marva died in that chair and he's not moved yeah they've moved her her body to the bedroom or whatever my initial mm. thought was oh no Oh, she's in the chair right now? Or like, no. Oh, like she's died off screen and oh, okay, Cassian okay. is too late. It, which is true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, the implication that Marva has died at home. There. Uh, oh, my gosh. What do we got here? Uh, we can hear two uh, a couple of women talking. One remarks about how peaceful she looks, while the other says that we're going to have to get rid of that bedding. Um, the women remark how it's heartbreaking. Uh, but it's more heartbreaking to know that B2 as the loyal dog has been chair side the entire time, because when one of the women asks, what about the droid B2 begins to shake quite violently until the teacup flies off his head. And uh, it actually uh, is caught by uh, Brasso who happens it, to be there, catches it nice before to hits know the that floor. They use him as a table in times of crisis. <laughs> well, I just thought, isn't that interesting though? Like how many, we all own pets. Yeah. Mm. who hasn't trained their dog to put a treat on their nose and they don't yeah. move. They can then just, 
right? <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. Um, I, I, I don't want to lament too much on Marva's death, but I, I made a comment earlier this week to you guys privately, and I just want to reiterate that for the sake of our audience. It took Star Trek seven seasons and what, five or six films to get a robot this human. Mm. Did anybody think we'd ever see a Star Wars droid cry? No. And I know they've pushed the limits with droids. I mean, that relationship between Lando and, uh, and uh, L3. Mm-hmm. but this is just this just hits on a completely different level so oh, yeah. um fantastic writing uh fantastic direction to uh to get the, that character to come so it's far a, it's a whole it's other extreme. level of sentience you know it's like yeah. i always thought of i viewed them as pets before but now i like i lean like children now like oh my gosh yes like you know what i mean like i do yeah, i really yeah, do yeah yeah well, Brasso kneels down beside B2 to tell him that they're going to take Marva's body out of the house and uh, he'll clear the room so that he, uh, B2 can be alone with her to say uh, his goodbyes. But uh, B2 slowly raises his head to look at Brasso and he says, I don't want to be alone. I want Marva. And uh, that just kicked me right in the, right in the throat as I, I got a little, mm. uh, I didn't cry, but I, sh- I did well up a bit. Brasso tells B2 that Jesse is going to stay in the house until he gets back from work. And uh, B2 says, I can't go with you. Calling Jesse into the living room, Brasso tells her that uh, B is going to help her get organized. And uh, Jesse says that there's a lot to be done. B2 protests quietly, telling Brasso, you said I could go with you. And Brasso looks down at the little droid and he says, the daughters of Ferrex require your assistance in a matter of grave importance. And then Jesse adds, we need to pull together, B, all of us. At that, B2 just turns his head back to the front, and he retracts it while Brasso and Jesse share a somber look. A short time later, the daughters of Ferrex carefully and respectfully remove Marva's body from the house uh, to a waiting uh, repulsor tram. Uh, Marva is wrapped in a burial shroud, and the short procession is led by Brasso. Inside the house, B2 watches from the window while out on the street, citizens stop to pay their respects, including Cinta, who's now working at the cafe just across the street. And as the repulsor tram pulls away, the people go back to their business while Cinta cleans up a table outside the cafe. In that long shot, you can still see B2 in the window. B2 in the window. And as as they walk away, his head goes down. Yeah. It's it's just a super He's moved from the the chair side now to the window. Right. You know, like just a crazy uh, portrayal of, of and grief. also, I mean, I don't want to harp on the scene too much because it's a long yeah, show. Sure. But, sure. Uh, the, the framing of that window when they open with the, uh, the Imperial symbol, the way that the, the cross uh, hairs of the window form the Imperial yeah. symbol, then they pan. Uh, oh yeah. So there's some really good cinematography in the, oh, in big the, time. the show. Well, when she goes back inside the uh, back inside the cafe, Imperial Attendant Korv, who's now working undercover, remarks to her that it looks like someone has died. Asinta says it happens. And Korv asks if it was someone that she knew. Asinta tells him that uh, she'd only started working here last week, and goes about putting some clean dishes away. Um, oh, what did I say here? Uh, I don't know whose choice it was to capture B2's reflection in the window when they take Marva out, but it really drives home the emotional weight of her death. Yes. Oh, yeah. um, also, <laughs> man, 
man, this whole like cat and mouse thing between Corv and Cinta, I did not think would be as like, like I'm watching it and I'm wringing my hands going, Ooh, like who's, who's a step ahead of who here? Like they mm-hmm. are literally two sides of the same coin and they're like, they could reach out and touch each other. Yeah. <laughs> That's so clever. All right. Um, also, I don't think Santa uh, is so uh, dense that she thinks that he's a nobody. Probably not. I also Probably had, not. I also had, this is very fleeting, very fleeting. And I know this is like, you know, when you want, when you want something so bad and you kind of, you kind of transfer your own energy into it for a brief second. I had it in my head that Cinta has warned them and they faked Marva's death and they didn't tell B2 to make it look credible. Oh wow. I don't think that really happened. But <laughs> back on Narkina 5, Cassian and Melshi, having made their way back up to the quarry face, now find themselves overlooking a pair of humanoid fishermen um, in another of the planet's uh, quarry lakes. Now, the two appear to be alone. Cassian remarks, Well, they didn't walk here. Then he and Melshi low crawl away from the ridge without being spotted. A short while later, the two men make their way down into the quarry on the opposite side, and they find a lower spot from which to observe from. Well, the two are surprised to see that the alien fishermen are in possession of a quad jumper. Little baby well, quad jumper. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk little about tiny that. Little baby one. Melshi asks Cassian if he can fly it, and Cassian shakes his head and he says, I don't know, it's an old one. Melshi asks, is that good? And Cassian answers, do we have a choice? But instead of answering the question, Melshi jumps up and he starts to run towards the ship. Cassian, uh, quick on his heels. Sorry, Andy, you're going to say something? No, it's just like he's overambitious at this point. Well, you can you can feel the excitement. Yeah. He's like, we're getting out of here. Yeah. Um, Cassian, quick on his heels, tells Melshi, Wait! And he adds, uh, be careful. But Melshi is confident as he says, they can't see us. And even if they did, they'd never get back in time. Still trying to maintain some semblance of quiet, Cassian asks, what if someone else is in there? Uh, But Melshi dismisses the question with an enthusiastic, we're getting out of here. I feel it. And then he takes off at a full sprint, leaving Cassian to catch up. As the two men hit the beach surrounding the quarry lake, the two aliens who were checking some of their nets notice them, but they just stand there and casually watch as the two guys sprint past. And it's for good reason, too. Unbeknownst to Cassian or Melshi, the fishermen have set up a motion-activated net launcher on the shore that the two men have inadvertently uh, triggered. The sticky netting envelops both of them and quickly shrinks, rendering them helpless just a few meters short of the quad jumper. Like we were almost there. <laughs> so not only is the empire cast in a wide net, so are these guys. Yes. And the fishermen actually chuckle. You can hear them laughing when they catch them. Yeah. Then the nets, which are still connected to the launcher uh, by long lines, drag the men into where the two alien fishermen can better inspect their catch of the day. All right. Let's talk about this quad jumper for a second here, because initially I was like, oh, it's the quad jumper from the force awakens. Yeah. But it's not. Mm-mm. It isn't. Um, at first, I thought it was a straight-up reuse of the animation model, and that may be 
partially true, but I haven't decided if they've, uh, if they've actually constructed this practically or if it's just a, a 100% reuse. And I do say that it's a partial reuse because the more I looked at it and the more I compared it to The Force Awakens, there are a couple of uh, significant differences. Um, enough, actually, that I would suggest that this is either a, a, a big continuity error or it's a new ship. Mm. it's still a quad jumper but it's not the same model that we saw well, so there's 40 years at this point between those absolutely ships and melchi says it's an old ship uh, yes absolutely right? so i you don't get a sense of how old it is when it's sitting in the desert on jakku it's just like right hey, we'll just take that quad jumper oh, okay it's it's exactly predecessor to it uh, quite so possibly easily 40 years is you know how many how many tie fighter variants do we get in just oh the gosh, three yeah. years of the, yeah, 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 of yeah, the original yeah. trilogy well the quad uh, the quad jumper as it appears in the force awakens is designated as the uh, tug dash b13 so it's a it's a tug it's made by the subpro corporation of course subpro is the same company that's responsible for the z95 headhunter and the arc 170 both of which are considered precursors to the X-Wing fighter in some ways. The quad jumper is a space tug used to move cargo containers around orbital shipyards by magnetically attaching itself to them. Now, canonically speaking, the TUG B-13 has a crew of one with room for two passengers. It has three seats and no more. And although there were several quad jumpers in the citizens' fleet at the Battle of Exegol, there's no mention of any weapon systems, uh, shields, or hyperdrive. So presumably, like every ship in Star Wars, it's basically a Honda Civic and is endlessly modifiable. <laughs> so let's get into those differences I was talking about. Um, this ship has been scaled way, way, way down. And it's really apparent when you see the, the two images that are uh, sized kind of similarly, like the two images on the right. Mm. Instead of having a ladder-accessed hatch, which we see on the one from The Force, Awaken, uh, Force Awakens, we now have a, humanoid, a humanoid-sized door and a boarding ramp, which actually has the two lower engines being offset further apart. So in theory, it's roughly the same size entranceway as that ship we saw way back in like episode, what, one or two? Possibly. Where the security mm. guys jump out? Quite possibly. I'm going to propose this. If it, it, it could actually be that I was thinking uh, from cer certain angles, especially with that netting hanging off the wall, that if they did that practically, that's the practical sets for the razor crest. Mm. I could be wrong on that, but that's where my mind went. I mean, mm. but if you look at the image with, with Ray and uh, Finn, like that thing's like, f like two thirds of the Falcon size. Yeah. Not so yeah. in, uh, in Andor. But you really get a sense of it. Uh, this, these two photos, by the way, they come from uh, the, the canon book, um, uh, The Force Awakens, Incredible Cross-Sections. And there it is. That is the, the quad jumper to scale with Uncar Plot and uh, Zuvio. <laughs> Poor Zuvio. <laughs> so, yeah, they've really, really scaled that down. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you for allowing me to uh, flex that. <laughs> you do love ships. I do. I do. And there's going to be more ship stuff this episode. I'm very excited. All right. Um, on Ferrix, Attendant Korv, now back in uniform, takes a video call from Dedra Miro, where he relates to her that uh, Marva Andor has just passed away uh, the previous night. 
Dedra impresses uh, Captain Tigo, our local prefect, to ensure that someone is watching the situation. And uh, he tells her that because Marva was a prominent citizen, uh, that her death will warrant some kind of big send-off in accordance with local customs. He says that they're going to request a permit to close off Rick's Road, and as usual, he will deny it. Uh, But then the captain is kind of caught off guard because Dedra says, no, you'll give them a permit. And uh, she says that they want a funeral, but to keep it uh, small, limit the time and the people in attendance, that by doing so, that will put the locals in what she calls a box where they can stand back and watch. So crafty. The implication being that the funeral is the perfect lure to draw Cassian in. And uh, begrudgingly, uh, Captain Tigo accepts the orders with an as you wish. Well, then attendant here asks Corv, uh, how much time do they have? And uh, Corv tells them that they only have two days because the local Ferrex custom calls for the deceased to be cremated and then to have their, uh, their ashes mixed with mortar and local stone dust and to be molded into a brick with their name on it, where they can then become part of another stone structure on Ferrex. And I don't know if it was lost on anybody out there, but I mean, when we're talking about the the most fascist of fascist Star Wars uh, television shows, it can't be lost on you, the, the Pink <laughs> Floyd <laughs> reference here. Put another brick in that wall. All in all, you're just another brick in the wall. By the way, the translation there, for anybody who's wondering, that says uh, Marva Andor, daughter of Ferrix. Well, back on Narkina 5, the two fishermen move to inspect their catch. Now, the male Caridian identify, is identified in the credits as uh, Dewey Pamular. D-E-W-I Dewey. Mm-hmm. Dewey Pamular. And he speaks like what I call Pirate Yoda. Tells his, <laughs> uh, tells his fishing partner, Freedy Pamular, that the two are escaped prisoners and they should offer them up to the empire for a thousand credits apiece, remarking that there's uh, better fishing on land these days. Mm-hmm. Now, Freedy answers in an untranslated uh, Narkinian, uh, but I'm sure he agrees with him. Well, then Dewey remarks that there aren't much squigglies left now that the prison has poisoned the waters. Melshi offers an honest, we meant you no harm. Cassian shouts, we killed nothing. Dewey goes on about how all the water near and far is boiled. And uh, Melshi blurts out, that's the empire. While Cassian emphatically emphatically adds how they were trapped in the imperial prison and it's their prison. Freedy says something in Narkinian to Dewey and the two share a laugh. And Cassian asks, well, what, what is it? What did he say? Dewey tells him that alive or dead, the offer goes to Z2. At that point, Freedy, who's been, who has a folding cleaver as a prosthetic arm, unleashes the blade, and both Cassian and Melshi begin to panic. Dewey continues, kill anyone they would, kill the water, kill the squigglies, care not who they kill, eh? But then his tone changes. As he insults the Empire, he tells Cassian and Melshi that uh, the Empire won't be killing him today. At the same time, Freedy uses the cleaver arm to release the netting. And as the two lay there floundering on the beach covered in the slime from the nets, Dewey tells them that they'd be wise to jump off world quickly. He asks them where he'd be looking to run now, eh? And uh, Cassian and Melshi exchange a quick look before Cassian 
as it says it like a question uh niamos <laughs> and the two pamulars chuckle as they nod and repeat niamos then we cut to the quad jumper as its four engines sputter um uh, and the ship uh, rickety old ship lifts off and slowly climbs out of the quarry headed for space all right, let's talk about our two aliens here for a second. We've got uh, Dewey yeah. Pamular. That's the gentleman here on the left. He is a male Caridian. His uh, species first appeared in uh, 2016's uh, Rogue One. Now, this uh, he's played by Matt Lyons. This is actually kind of funny. Matt Lyons, no stranger to costume characters because it appears that uh, every other role that he's ever had since he's been in acting has been in heavy costume or prosthetics. <laughs> including his longest running gig, which was uh, 44 episodes of a kid's show called Tweenies that ran from uh, 1999 to 2002. <clears throat> he also played, uh, he was the physical embodiment of Dr. Quadpaws back in episode six. And ironically, oh. ironically enough, his IMDb doesn't even have a headshot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Our other fellow here, Freedy Pamular, uh, now he is a male, I presume the speak, speaking Narkinian, I guess that makes him native to Narkina five. Possibly. I would say that he's a Narkinian. Now that's Liam Cook. Liam Cook did one episode of Dr. Who back in uh, 2015, where he played just the body of uh, King Hydroflax. He's done one episode of a food show called food unwrapped, uh, in 2013, where he played himself and a five minute comedy musical called college romance the musical where uh, <laughs> he played the coveted role of uh classroom dude nice oh yeah he also played ochi of bestoon oh, oh. <laughs> that's cooler all right um you know that we like to address some of the discourse out there and you know what i think we're actually going to create some because I've heard some other outlets uh, this week refer to these two as uh, fishermen, as brothers, mm. and I just want to I just want to propose that there's something else going on here. Now, they are not the same species. No, that doesn't mean that they can't be brothers. There's mixed that, families. That's yeah. true. I honestly believe that we are very quietly getting the first interspecies same-sex relationship. Yeah. I mean, call it sort of weird until the the captions literally said he about yeah. Dewey. Yeah. Um, I thought those were breasts. Oh, really? So I thought, you know, I, I, I did think they were a couple either way. Yeah, 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 <laughs> oddly yeah. Enough. Um, well, who knows where his upper Flurman is located? Almost identical <laughs> design to Dewey is in a is in the mobile the Star Wars galaxy's mobile game or something like that yeah 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 the character has a totally different name but looks identical uh did i make a note on that i didn't uh i didn't there was a there was a thing Ox yeah there, o Ox Psylocke was the the rogue Ox one character and then uh, there's another there's another one in a in a kids it's a canon comic book uh rook right. rook who has the same kind of monocular right he's a jedi he's, he's part of the what do they call them the technomongers Something like that. Technomongers, maybe. Hmm. Um, so yeah, nobody else is actually no one else is talking about this. No other outlet that I follow uh or that I even like briefly skim over mm. has even tried to address this. And I'm like, this is such a huge deal. Why isn't anybody talking about this? Yeah, like inclusion's good. 
Absolutely. Don't just write it off as something else. I thought for sure that uh, all the uh, the redneck, uh, we can't stand anything that might possibly, you know, make us uncomfortable mm-hmm. would be all over this. They, they would have to read it's the woke. They would have to read um, the credits. Well, <laughs> get their so last true. names. They're not going to put the work in. They just hate part time. Yeah. Listen, I know I know that nobody over at Lucasfilm is paying attention to us, but on the off chance that this makes it back to someone, if that was the intention, my I tip my hat because yeah, uh, in, inclusion is important. Yeah. And uh, I think it's that's it's how it wonderful. is in headcanon anyway. So it's, I think it's wonderful. Change my mind. Just before we jump ahead though. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, a thought on what they say yep. about the waters being poisoned. Uh yes. Could this go back to the reason why we're only seeing Cassian and Melshi? Like is oh, the water that bad that you know some of them literally got oh wow well, the, the, if the water killed off the squigglies yeah mind mm-hmm. you hopefully nobody ingested too much of that yeah, you uh, swallow too po- much of it uh, the poisoned uh, water yeah does you in indeed well back at luthan's gallery uh Clea works to restore an ancient coin in the back room that might be a part of the the coins that she tried to show off to uh chloris maybe who knows anybody catch anything significant about this coin I, I i thought are they showing this to us for a you know is is this an easter egg i could not find anything on this coin no no i just the three kind of resembles some arabesh but not, yeah you know, i thought you know three three lines and three dots is that representing like three factions like rebellion empire partisan like is there it's some like, metaphor here? Like an A could just be A for Andor. <laughs> could just be. I, that's true. A Triforce. If anybody has a has a theory, a leading theory on this coin, mm-hmm. we'd love to hear about it. You know, if we were to sort of, you know, tweet the art department, some people might answer questions. I, they might, you know. Maybe. We should try that. I've tried to uh, hook us up and follow more people related to the production of the show, and it's hard. Mm-hmm. Like, I could not find Tony Gilroy on there. He anyway. doesn't strike me like that kind of cat. No, he's, I don't think he's it, too busy yeah. swearing kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, noticing Vel loitering just outside the front door, uh, she moves behind the front counter and unlocks the door. Well, the two women make pleasantries and this exchange is so, so parallel to the first exchange that we saw between uh, Mon Mothma and Luthen and the way that they interacted with that dance of, of caricatures. Mm-hmm happy face front yeah 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 uh, but vel is the first one to break character and she just says are we alone Clea tries to keep up appearances but vel presses her saying where is he so putting her back to the glass front entrance Clea reminds her that they have rules for a reason vel uh, tells Clea that uh, she sent up a flag yesterday and Clea is like we would have gotten it tomorrow but vel retorts we like it's a question before adding that uh, Luthen's Fondor Hallcraft is gone. And she knows it's gone because she actually checked the back on her way in. Clea looks quite surprised at that and actually averts her eyes. Then tries to impress on Vel that her behavior, Vel's behavior and actions are off base. But Vel asserts that tomorrow is too late. And she asks again, where is he? Clea calls Vel off the rails and says, you're lucky he's not here. Vel scoffs as she retorts, I gave him Aldani. What have you done lately? And all I can hear is the Pointer Sisters. (laughs) 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 Maintaining her composure, Clea leads Vel over to a stone tablet in the gallery wall. 
uh, where she tells her that uh, she doesn't have lately, but she has always. Growing increasingly angry, she calls it a constant blur of plates spinning and knives on the floor with needy panicked faces at the window, of which Vel is just one of but many. And that really addresses the thing we talked about before, like how high up on that rebel food chain, yeah. if you will, for lack of a better term, she is. And and that would suggest to me like very high. You think about how many players there are. And we, we know uh, later on in this episode that not all the, the chess pieces are aware of the other chess pieces. Right, right. You know? So, I mean, you have these, again, you have these proto-rebel uh, cells that are operating independently, and nobody's really sure who else is out there. Mm. So, I mean, she could be, she's definitely high up within Luthen's organization. But right, exactly. Yeah, we're still a couple of years off for the, the, the Rebel Alliance, the formal... Yeah. ratification of the well, he seems to be like the way he's trying to pair saw guerrero with anton krieger or anto krieger, anto krieger yeah uh, that he is used to you know being that like a the, the central spoke the go between yeah because you know, yeah. he can sort of contact different groups and uh, again it calls possibly. in calling into question like and we've been asking right from the first time we met him who is uh luthan rail and uh what what is his significance to the whole thing and man like i would love to do a character study on him because i think he's just such an interesting guy like mm. i had this thought about him the other day where it's like i want to get an image of him like in his like his uh his caricature as the gallery keeper with the wig and the robes and stuff and the fake smile and then i want to contrast that with him on the on the walkway talking to lonnie young and below that, I want to put an image of Shiv Palpatine as a senator because it's the same hairstyle, the same yeah. st- clothing style, and then the emperor. I mean, I'm not saying that Luthen is evil, although that, there is a portion of the fan community that's purporting that Luthen might, in fact, have Sith connections, which I don't think he does. I don't think he's evil. It's just that whole it goes back to Luthen using the weapon of my enemy. Right. He's, he's given as, up the good he's as for extreme. The good. Yeah, he's as extreme on one side of the argument as the emperor is on the other. Yeah. Got to do bad stuff to get he's, right. He's the, yeah, yeah. He's the bureaucratic Saw Guerrero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, when uh, when bad things happen, there there are what is the the phrase? There are men who are willing to do uh, evil in order to preserve your way of life, like mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of person. All right, so regaining her composure, uh, Clea asks what information, and uh, Vel just stares at her for a few seconds before saying, I'll make sure he knows where it comes from. Vel purses her lips before telling Clea that Cassian Andor's mother has died and that uh, she will be leaving in the morning, uh, and Cinta says it's very busy there. Clea puts on her fake smile again and tells Vel, I'll let him know, as uh, she gestures towards the front entrance, like, you're dismissed now. Um, and Vel pointedly tells her do that before walking out. And as Clay, as she goes, Clay drops the smile glaring at her and follows Vel with her eyes out the door until she's out of sight. And the biggest question I have is what the F just happened here? Like, was this some kind of power play between the two of them? Because this does not feel like the. We talked about the Clea might be a stepmom thing and she's just a bitter child, but this feels different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Any, um, uh, any thoughts on that? I, I mean, it's, it's, it's super clear. They don't like one another. Um, yeah. yeah. And I mean, yeah, there's probably people that work for me that don't like me based on like, you know, <laughs> telling them what to do every day. Yeah. Yeah. For money. But, uh, <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's certainly a strained relationship. I think they probably push each other's buttons. Um, right. And, I'm not, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say exactly, but well, it's, that it's whole idea. The there's, they're, they're, I mean, they're very smarmy towards one another. Yeah, I, I know a lot of girls that are like that, like that. The sort of the offhanded uh, comments of, you know, you look, you look really nice today. That must have taken hours, or right, right. <laughs> you know, um, it's 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 that that back and forth. Like, uh, I don't know if it's a, like a, a pecking order thing or a, yes, that's exactly a what it feels like. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. Like there's a hesitation there uh, between between the two of them before Clea says, "I'll make sure he knows who it came from." Like, was was Vel concerned that any information that she'd hand over would be delivered like it came from Clea? Like, right, it's almost right. like they're compete. Are they competing for favor with Luthen? Because I don't get that impression. Like, I thought Vel is she's angry at Luthen for reasons that we still don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that's her only real safety, though. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, you know, like, because she's got this other persona. Um, it's a, there's a lot of Batman stuff going on here, if you will, a lot, like yeah, a lot of yeah. secret identities. So, and the uh, in 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 her case and Luthen's case, I really believe like the the Bruce Wayne, if you will, is them yeah. in the field, them with yeah, the yeah, wigs yeah. and the makeup and the jewelry and the the diamonds and and, yeah. and all that. Yeah. Um, so. Um, I, I, it might be a power play. I, you know, um, if she had a position where she, she wasn't in the field instead. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting there, but they both have this whole, like what they're doing and each person having been in the military, you, you cannot compare the guy. You can't compare the infantry guy with the cook. I mean, they are both doing a very specific and a very essential job, but they are apples and oranges. And that's kind of where we're at, where. Mm. Vel's clearly a field operative that Clea right. isn't. Yeah. Right. They both have responsibilities. They both have pressures and stressors and all the things that go with their specific jobs. But it just feels like there's something below the surface that we're not getting. Yeah. Like and, she's uh, testing her, what are you doing that's so great? That's that you've earned his favor. It's one of those uh, burning questions that I suspect will not be answered before the end of next no, week. It's, no, it's true. <laughs> and from Clea's perspective, with so many agents and moving parts, um, yeah. certainly protecting information and, and keeping your cards in your sleeves oh, yeah. would benefit her. So when you know when she trumps her with a with a piece of information, a super important one at this yeah. point in the story, yeah. uh, that's gotta unnerve her a little. Yeah, I suppose it would. But at the same time, it would probably piss her off because she's already told her, don't make any calls. They're listening. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. here she is. Well, I was just talking to Cinta. <laughs> That's true. At least they're doing So I've mentioned this before. I'm going to get it off my chest right now because I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. At least they're at the gallery where they know it's a privately owned uh, place not like Mon Mothma's embassy state-owned residence that's probably bugged to the nines where they just tell all the secrets in the open. Mm. They've <sighs> also, you don't have a shot of it, but they've moved the uh, they the moved Jedi, the, uh, They did, the Temple Guardian. Uh, uh, sort of more uh, front and center. Yeah, it had a great yeah. uh, great prominence this week. Yeah, you move stuff around. 
I did not see anything new in the gallery this week. Nothing that not, made me go. New. No. Uh, well, maybe the uh, the Aztec calendar, but I mean, that's neither here nor there. Well, back on Ferrix, Korv sits inside the cafe watching Marva's house while uh, outside Cinta is doing exactly the same thing as she cleans up one of the tables. Well, Brasso arrives and he goes inside where he's met by B2 who says, I'm glad you're back. Brasso pats him lightly on the head as he walks in and we cut back to Korv who removes a comm device from his jacket. Speaking into it, he says, big man's on sight. I want full coverage, spotters front and back. I want to know immediately about any comings and goings, visitors, deliveries, anything. Well, later that evening, as the time grappler rings out the sunset, Brasso stands listening from Cassian's bedroom at uh, Marva's. He looks around the room and he sighs before trudging out into the living room, turning off lights as he goes. Calling out to B2 EMO, Brasso tells him it's time to go. And B questions, go, go, go where? Brasso tells the little droid, back to my place. I have work in the morning. And B2, not wanting to leave, says, I'm charging. Brasso says, you've been there all day. But he'll take the afternoon off tomorrow so that they can come back. Brasso tells B2 plainly, she's not here. She's in the stone now. She's on her way. B2 whirs as he says, I can wait to make sure. But Brasso tells B that he can't leave him there alone. It's not what Marva would have wanted. Staring up at the big man, B2's charge level flashes full green as he hesitates for just a moment before asking, you could stay. Brasso sighs as he replies hesitantly, one night. Perking right up, B2 rolls out of his charge dock and rolls over to Brasso's side, staring up at him while Brasso sighs again with a weary look. Again, that loyal dog thing. It just yep. runs right yeah. over. You're staying? We can stay? Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> George. Exactly. It's that uh, spike and the uh, and the little guy, the little dog. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, at the hotel, a fragile and tortured Bix leans her head against the wall of her room. And the words of Dr. Gorst echo as she relives the torture session that she had with him while the ceiling-mounted surveillance camera watches from above. The door whooshes open, and Lieutenant Kisaks stands there inviting her to join him. Barely able to stand, Kisaks drags her down the hallway into a makeshift headquarters room uh, equipped with a hollow table where she's then placed in a chair. From the other side of the room, Attendant Korv, uh, uh, leaning on the table, uh, tells her that he's going to ask her a question, and if he believes that she's not being truthful, he will call back Dr. Gorst. Korv activates the table, and a hologram of a stout man appears. Korv calls the man Anto Krieger before moving around the table to kneel down beside Bix. He asks her, is this the man you introduced to Cassian Andor? Well, Bix's eyes flutter as they well up, and Korv presses her. Bix. And she tries to focus on the hologram, but is so emotionally exhausted, she just slumps over in the chair. Now, I thought she was going to have the wherewithal to, to lie here. To lie, I really so did, did I. I thought yeah, she was really going to say, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's him. It's actually much more realistic that she's completely broken by the experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, Anto Krieger's not listed <laughs> in the credits. He's, he's not. He uh, is not listed in the credits. And initially, this image, like, to my way of thinking, it looks like it could have been pulled from any modern 
uh, video game rendered it with unreal mm-hmm. <laughs> um so are we i want to put a uh, it's just a general question here do we think we will see anto krieger in the season finale or do we just get to see his ship as it explodes? That's the other thing. I mean, this so, again looks like it's rendered from a video game. He could never, never, ever make an on-screen appearance. This, yeah. this might be a carrot they dangle uh, for next season, but I think we have too many moving parts to have another one. There's already so many pieces on the chessboard, right? Um, yeah. I, or does he just send his fifty guys to Spellhouse and like you know pull the strings from his hideout? I don't see a more hands. I mean, if he's like, I got the impression from the conversation with saw that saw he, he was not just sending those X wings. He's going. Yeah. I presume that Krieger's maybe of the same kind of, you know, lead from the front kind of thing. Hmm. Right. Um, possibly. I think it's one too many pieces of, uh, Although they have dropped his name a lot this season. He's been, he's the, he is the, uh, uncle McGuffin. of the rebels. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he is. Yeah, McGuffin. absolutely. He is. Uh, I still think it's, it's too many moving pieces. When you consider that we're going to, uh, you know, the things like just based on the trailer, the initial trailer, uh, we've got, uh, Dedron Ferrix with death yeah. troopers. We know that we've seen Cyril Karn wearing, like local clothing that's on right. Ferrix. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we know that's coming next week. Um, you know, um, presumably that big funeral procession is right, going to happen. The funeral procession. We've, we we know Cassian's probably going to be stupid and go back. Um, yep. Will Melshi be with him? Probably not. But uh, there's so many moving parts, and they're all. That's what you want from a finale. You want all your, you know, a, a nice complex uh, spy thrillers bringing all the oceans 11 elements into the finale and i think just it might it might distract from whatever else is happening i i this show is so good at doing things off camera that affect the whole just just knowing that there's a face to a guy and 50 of his men are about to die yeah um that might be enough i asked uh weeks ago would uh when i was on vacation was cassie never going to go back to look for his sister and now, Not this now Marv is dead, so she can't even come clean whether you know the sister's alive or not. Like we don't know right. if, if she was telling the truth or not. So also nobody to tell him not to go anymore. Either. Right, right. Well, I agree that there are a lot of dangling uh, plot threads, and and the, the question is how many of the plot threads are are setups for seasons two plus. Right. We're going to find right. out in a few days. Well, Absolutely. What we at least know is the parts they were building on Arkina five. Cause he said, we're building season. Oh yeah. Two. We're building season two. Yeah. 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 So this isn't a spoiler. I, I, I don't think it's a spoiler, but so the entire episode uh, of 12 was leaked by a, oh, you a, an, said agent, yeah, yeah. an agent of the media. And while this isn't a spoiler, um, apparently there's an after credit scene that's going to give us the purpose of those parts. Oh, that'll be really, really cool. So I hope yeah, that nice that's true. Sure. And without knowing what that is yet, because I, as soon as I read it, I stopped, I went, Nope. <laughs> no, yeah, I did I not that in the freezer. I have not. Been I, I like to, I'm really so. enjoying being blown. Like Andy circus came out of nowhere. Yeah. Fantastic. I know. I didn't ex- expect that at all. No, uh, so. but so satisfying to see him by. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way. Okay. Let's take, let's have, let, let's, Let's do a little a little deviation here and let's have some fun with this for a second. 
let's presume that, you know, maybe they will, maybe they won't cast him. Um, I asked you guys uh, for one or two people you thought could pull this off, and I put together a little list. These are uh, actors we think would make a pretty cool Anto Krieger. We've got uh, John Travolta, and I, I immediately went to John Travolta because I, I had seen him in like a Facebook reel recently where he was dancing and he looked just like that bald with a beard and i'm like holy crap it's it's john travolta mm -hmm. <laughs> um yeah so that was my my first go-to my other go-to on the far far right hand side that's tate fletcher and uh, tate fletcher you may remember we've seen him before he played the alpha trawler in the very first episode of the mandalorian Mando. so he's already got star wars bones um, and then you guys came back with some cool choices. Uh, Andy, yours were uh, Jeff Bridges based on originally his portrayal of Obadiah Stane. Yeah. Yeah. Was, you know, the forceful bald bearded guy. I buy that too. Or Just Brian did. Cranston. There you go. I, I also buy to that see him in more stuff. So, and then Just Hank, good. you, uh, you <laughs> a little Sharpie <laughs> on D'Onofrio's Kingpin, a little Sharpie there. And I mean, we're still on. waiting. We're still waiting for him to come clean we, on it. We, on we are going to cast this man in everything. <laughs> we will find a home until for he I, finds a Star Wars role. I threw in uh, Paul Donald White the second, also known as the Big Show, uh, just because of the man's physical presence. But I mean, right there, of all of them, he kind of fits the big. The, like he, when, you know, you could easily have photoshopped his head on that turned yeah. to blue, and yeah. we wouldn't have yeah. batted an eye. I will say this. If, if of the uh, two, four, six gentlemen that we have put up on screen here, if one of them is going to to make it, if I were a betting man, I'm putting my money on Tate Fletcher yeah. just because of his association with the company already. Well, I'll and tell I mean, you, four out of the six probably couldn't wouldn't couldn't be afforded. Couldn't be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like we've already blew our our load on. Uh... Oh, on yeah, uh, Kino Loy, <laughs> we're probably <laughs> not going to bring in Jeff Bridges. <laughs> Mind you, look at all these guys that just want to be in Star Wars because, hey, it's freaking Star Wars. Yeah. Well, and you they know. did. They sort of promised there would be no like um, fans. Uh, although we did get we did cameos? get Andy Circus, but there would be no cameos. <laughs> like uh, just for the like sake the of guy, cameos, the guy from the office just shows up. And you okay, know. but I mean, I took cameos to mean like we're not going to get Han Solo. We're not going to get luke skywalker oh that's also uh, an interesting but as far as actors yeah, yeah. everybody's game i mean I we got there's, a lot, of, there's yeah. a lot of celebrity cameos in, yeah. in the other shows you know whether right, they're right. they're hidden or not and even it's 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 been a thing in in most of the modern movies too well I, that's I, a very good distinction celebrity or actor cameos versus character cameos right just, just because they're like celebrities doesn't mean they're not fans of the franchise. No, of course not. I know yeah. absolutely. Like better dream 100%. than you know. Get in it. Daniel yeah. Craig, uh, Kevin Smith, yeah. uh, Sam Witwer, Stormtroopers. Uh, if they wanted me to be in a Star Wars TV show, I would back over both of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just from two, three provinces away. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I thought that was just a fun little diversion. So thank you for entertaining that. <laughs> oh, we get a comment here from Sean. Sean says uh, the Big Show for something different for a change <laughs> and and highly affordable i would imagine I, I would think so he just he's got a netflix show he does does uh, he really he does yeah he's got some good comedy chops on him too all right well um cutting back to coruscant we hear the chanting of children 
As we land on Mon Mothma, standing just outside the dining room of her embassy residence, uh, sipping a drink while she watches Lita and a group of other Chandrillan girls about her age in a recitation of what sounds like chapter and verse of some old text under the guidance of a Chandrillan elder. Yielding in acceptance, safe in the old ways, true and steady and braided in trust, the old ways hold, safe in the knot, in the binding, the old ways teach us, bound against the wind, tied to shore, tethered in permanence. As the girls continue their recitation, Vel, who's just entered the lounge, creeps up on Mon, quietly remarking, seriously, is this really happening? Mon tells her that, well, they did it when they were young, but Vel corrects her and says, uh, you did it, adding, I thought this was over. Uh, but Mon says, it's back, pointing out that Vel clearly has not been following the trends because it's back now. And it's even stronger here on Coruscant than it is at home on Chandrilla. Mm. Vel whispers, but you can do whatever you want. And uh, Mal, Mon tells her, Mal. <laughs> Mal mm-hmm. Mothma. That's an interesting one. Mal Sorry. Mothma. I've uh, got Mal. a drawing to do. <laughs> <laughs> Mon tells her, uh, it's not me. And Vel hisses, Perrin. And Mon says, no, no. He's strangely open-minded on the topic. It's her. It's Lita. Well, Vel seems a little distraught at that, and um, uh, oh my god, a little, a little bit. Uh, right, I don't know what I was trying to say here. <laughs> She's upset, and she says, "Oh no." Um, while Mon remarks how much the, she loves it and her friends, she says it's the only thing that Lita shows up on time for. Wow! Looking up from the recitation, Lita spots her auntie Vel standing in the next room with her mom. Vel, meanwhile, is still floored that Lita would choose to pursue such a custom, and uh, Mon tells her that it was Lita who found the Elder. Vel uh, um, circles around to face Mon and retorts, don't tell me you're taking proposals. Now, Not answering the question, Mon looks despaired as she says, I'm in so much trouble, Vel. Um, it, we're looking at some kind of, uh, coming of age ceremony here, mm-hmm. some kind of mm-hmm. prayer, uh, prayer group, I guess we can call it. Yeah. But just, well, they're all, they're it, all right? wearing uniforms or robes. So, good point. And I want to just touch on that for a second. That is the, that is the outfit and hairstyle that we were first introduced to Lita in several episodes ago before Cassian went to jail. So this has been happening for over a month. Yeah. But like in the wording, right? It's all about tying and binding and the knot. Well, I mean, braid. you know that we're we're yeah. getting set up for this is the the coming of age, I guess, for for Chandril and women who are about to go down the arranged marriage uh, route. Yeah, right. Which plays interestingly, or or conveniently, or succinctly into the whole uh, Davos Golden thing that Mon so adamantly refused. Whenever anyone chants in unison with other people, it feels culty. <laughs> it does feel culty. Yeah. I mean, but Mon, she's the first one to say, like, it's not like I wanted to. Mm-hmm. You know, she made it clear that she had no choice when it was her and Perrin. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and is but, this just Lita rebelling? For- well, okay. So let's, let's, let's hinge on that word for a second. Rebellion. Mm. Rebellion. Mm. When we're talking about the uh, sacrifice resume, the what have you done? Yeah. Um, 
by making this Lita's choice, it it serves the story to get Mon out of trouble. She can get the credits from Davo, but it takes the responsibility, the weight off her shoulders, like she like she pushed her daughter into it. Lita can do it of her own volition, and it makes it a little more palatable, I think. Mm-hmm. But it also speaks to you know Mon willing to let her go and and not try to interfere with her life. Yeah. I mean, you talk about sacrifice. There you go. Mon was right. quite willing to sacrifice. She was willing to sacrifice her daughter, even though it, it's now in a different, it's framed a little bit differently. Yeah. Well, later that evening, uh, Mon and Vel are sitting in the lower lounge of the embassy residence. And uh, Mon tries to bring Vel up to speed about just how much trouble that she's in. She tells her how only a year ago she was able to regularly withdraw uh, like a hundred thousand credits at a time from the family trust without a trace. Vel questions for Luthen, adding that she had no idea it was that much money. But Mon says well, back then it was easy. All she had to do was set up a stream of accounts and just move the money between them. But then a few months ago, a banker back home on Chandrilla contacted her to warn her that Imperial inspectors might be taking a closer look at Chandrillan accounts and uh, to make sure that everything is in order. So she did everything she could by pulling all the money into a main, one main account, but at the end of it all, there was still one account out of balance. So uh, nervously, she went to Luthen to tell him that she needed outside help, telling him that she knew the risk involved. Perceptively, Vel says, take Holma asking Mon, do you trust him? And Mon says she does. But then lowering her voice to a whisper, she says, but then Aldani, suddenly everything was frozen. Mon says uh, she thought Tay could help her replace the missing credits and to get her started again. But instead, what he really did was just uncover how much trouble she really is in. Vel asks her how much is missing. With tears in her eyes, Mon tells her 400,000 credits. Vel then asks when they'll be looking into things and Mon says, soon, very soon. Vel, thinking for a moment, uh, asks, does Luthen know? And uh, Mon tells her, some, no, not really. And then says, mm-hmm. he warned me, who knows what he knows? And I'm asking that same question. <laughs> who knows what Luthen knows? Right. Vel leans forward, emphatically telling her cousin, this can't be exposed. And uh, coldly, Mon says, I know that. In the background, the girls' prayer group is wrapping up for the night, and as they depart, uh, the camera focuses on Mon and her teary eyes as uh, she tells Vel, I've found a solution. And then Lita calls out, Auntie Vel! And uh, Vel puts on her smile and gets up to hug and greet her while Mon uh, watches the two and begins to cry. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I, when she's crying, I, to me, she's looking right over Vel, right at Lita. Right, yeah. right. I think yeah. that the choice is made. I think it's just a matter of, you know, it's having that next meeting with, yeah, with Davo. Yeah. That extending mm. that invitation. <clears throat> yeah. And now it's yeah. living with yeah, your yeah. choices, right? Absolutely. I mean, these are, these are members of the chessboard that aren't going to be on Ferris. Right. right. And they're still That's very right. super important to the, uh, the, the yeah. show. Over at Edie's apartment, uh, Cyril Karn has woken in the middle of the night uh, by his mom. She says he's got a phone call. He goes to the video phone, activating the screen, and hey, it's Linus Mosk. Didn't think we'd see him again. 
the whole moment is played kind of for comedy um but it works really really well um because i i think of like how many we've all been there on like a super janky cell phone call where it just keeps cutting in and out you're like (laughs) (laughs) which is exactly what we get here the connection is patchy and mosk has to shout over the noise of uh, some industrial equipment uh, in the background in the apartment edie hovers over cyril until he waves her off but uh, she just steps around the corner and leans up against the wall close enough to eavesdrop it seems that Linus is still over on Morlana one and he's working a new factory job, some kind of smelter, I guess. Apparently before Cyril was ejected from the uh, Primor, he had asked Mosk to contact him if he'd ever found any information on Cassian Andor. Well, it turns out that uh, Linus still has a friend in the Primor security force who's been assisting with the Imperial transition and uh, they had told Mosk that Cassian's mother had died, and there's been lots of communication uh, between Morlana One and Coruscant about it. The connection is very spotty, and neither man can make out the other quite clear enough. But they manage to stumble through the conversation until Mosk says that there's a chance that Andor might show up at the funeral. Cyril tries adjusting the screen as he shouts that they need to speak again but it's no use as the screen freezes and the call is dropped. With the call ended, Edie steps out from her perch and in typical fashion criticizes her son with uh, the mystery of your former triumphs have been vanquished. I can sleep <laughs> peacefully now. Um, I could not do this uh, sequence justice, so I'm just going to let the visuals speak for themselves. And I, I would like to present for you the many faces of Linus Mosk. (laughs) 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 That middle one. Yes. (laughs) It was so, I'm like, Oh my God, we've all been there. (laughs) This is comedy gold. You're still calling him, sir, too. Oh, I know. I know. And, and uh, Cyril is still calling him Sergeant. Right. But I mean, technically you carry, you carry that with yes. you. Well, in a yes. government, in a government military, you would carry that for life. Um, in a private security force, I don't know. I guess it's just you know, customary. Yeah. They did, I mean, they only served one sort of combat mission together, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that does bond guys. Uh, absolutely, it does. Yeah, yeah. Well, back on uh, Niamos, Cassian has broken into his old hotel room, which is now occupied by an alien couple who are fast asleep in the bed. Miraculously, the case containing the credits from the Aldani heist, Clem Andor's Briar Pistol, Cyril Karn's corporate-issued blaster pistol, and Nemec's manifesto is still there on top of the shower fixture. (laughs) Very relieved at that. Carefully perched on the toilet, Cassian opens the case and he finds everything exactly as he left it. Then uh, flipping open the leather cover of the manifesto, we hear Nemec's voice ring out, Tyranny requires, and then Cassian quickly slams the book, uh, the flap shut again. But the Orabesh that we see on the screen translates as control is so desperate because it's unnatural. Tyranny requires. Closing the case, Cassian carefully creeps down from the toilet and quietly leaves the hotel room with the occupants blissfully unaware that anyone was ever there thief in the night nice move and that goes that goes back to he's a thief yeah you know old skills right exactly mm-hmm. 
Well, it's going to get interesting here because we go back to uh, Segra Milo, where uh, Luthen is going to meet with Saw Guerrera for a second time. Entering the network of caves, he's stopped by uh, Benthic and another partisan who searches him. When Luthen asks what the search is for, Benthic tells him that Saw is in a mood. Satisfied with their findings, the partisans let Luthen pass, and he finds Saw hovering over a tactical table. It seems that in the 11th hour, Saw has reversed course and emphatically tells Luthen that he will bring his X-Wings and to support the attack on Spellhouse, but he has a few conditions. Firstly, he won't take tactical orders from anyone, and after the attack is over, he wants to loot the Eastern Garrison, but he also wants Luthen to cough up the gear that he'd previously offered at their last meeting. Luthen tells Saw that it's too late for that, because Krieger is going tomorrow. But Saw says they're ready. They have the charts uh, that they need. All they need is for Krieger to agree to Saw's terms, and uh, Saw orders Luthen to make it happen. Well, Luthen sighs as he says, I think not. Confused, Saw says, why? Noting how eager he was previously. Luthen tells him that the ISB knows Krieger's plan and they'll be waiting for him. And uh, with, with growing paranoia, Saw asks, how he, does he know that? And uh, Luthen says, you know I won't tell you that. Saw figures out that Krieger doesn't know, and uh, he shouts at Luthen, how do you know I won't tell him? And Luthen says that he doesn't. Still shocked, Saw remarks that it's 30 men that Luthen is willing to burn, as he calls it before coming to the conclusion that Luthen himself is either ISB or he's protecting somebody on the inside. While Luthen counters, well, he might just be a good listener. Saw retorts, you think it's worth losing Krieger? And Luthen tells him that, yes, he did, but now he's not sure anymore. Stepping towards Luthen, Saw asks, and what if it was me? What would you do? Luthen tells him that Krieger doesn't know him, so... He wouldn't be vulnerable if he was captured. And Saw remarks, well, surely you've met him. And uh, Luthen tells him, well, they've been in the same room before, but Krieger didn't know that. He would send people, they would drop supplies, and they use special radios, which means that Krieger's capture can't really hurt Luthen. And that's when Saw's paranoia begins to get the better of him, as he realizes that unlike Krieger, his own capture could very much hurt Luthen. Luthen tells Saw, look, it's your decision. But Saw is too busy looking around the cave, taking in everyone around him. Luthen repeats himself, it's your choice. Adding, do they let Krieger go down and play the long game? Or do they warn him and throw away what's take, uh, throw away a source that has taken years to cultivate? Disgusted at Luthen, Saw waves his arms around as he asks, you have people everywhere, don't you? Luthen tells him, you're avoiding the question. But Saw isn't interested in answering, and he presumes that Luthen has someone embedded with both Anto Krieger's group mm-hmm. and the ISB, and he goes so far as to suggest that maybe Luthen has someone right here in the room with them right now. Luthen tries to keep Saw focused on the choice to help or warn Krieger, but Saw is now quite animated as he starts shouting, Who is it? Who is it? giving in to Saw's tantrum, he just points at Benthic and says, it's Mm -hmm. tubes. It's tubes. It's (laughs) tubes, yeah. Like, it's nothing. Benthic, who's now caught completely off guard, calls it nonsense, while Luthen continues to lay it on thick. He calls tubes his man, 
and that he tells him everything going so far as uh, encouraging tubes tell him he deserves to know now tubes is the one who's outraged as he lunges toward uh forward professing his loyalty to saw but as he does that luthan snags the blaster pistol from benthic's hip and presses it to, uh, to saw's chest well now fully snapped back in the reality of the moment saw grins as he tells luthan there's no way out of here alive but Luthen isn't interested in escape. He just wanted Saw to focus his attention, and he tells him to listen. Luthen tells Saw that if Krieger goes down, the ISB will feel invincible and untouchable, and that will give them a clear field uh, to play on. The alternative being that if they warn him, Krieger will pull out of the attack on Spellhouse, and they'll know something is off, and they'll trust nothing, just like Saw is doing right now. Saw takes in the words, and his expression softens. Then Luthen asks, if I were ISB, why wouldn't I just send you out there with him? Dropping the blaster from Saw's chest, Luthen tells him that he never wanted Saw to have to make that choice. Saw looks at Luthen um, as he says, 30 men. And Luthen looks down as he adds, plus Krieger. And then Saw makes his choice as he says, for the greater good. And Luthen mm-hmm. tells him, call it what you will and like a hammer on a nail saw says let's call it war it's my best uh forest whitaker i don't know if that's not bad it's not bad (laughs) good morning vietnam oh my god yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) um we really get uh we know that saw was off his rocker by the time we get to rogue one well no i mean he's he is so paranoid so yeah. paranoid how does a guy that paranoid uh in, get any uh, anybody to follow them yeah <clears throat> well they, they've been following him for years I, yeah now, right yeah, yeah years and years and years and so when you're you know it's it's a hard thing to do to walk away from somebody who's got your loyalty already even I, if they I are cracking so. up but, again so we, never... we, we just know a few things about saw Guerreras. first of all yeah. we know yeah. things about him from clone wars he's that's he's right. a grizzled veteran yeah well, absolutely of rebellions uh, he's well, been he's fighting, fighting this up. just like like uh cassian says in 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 uh in rogue one he's Six been fighting old. this fight for so long yeah and we've seen him in rebels fighting this fight we've seen him in in the future we see him in in rogue one fighting this fight yeah um, Bad batch he's still doing it oh yeah 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 so how uh absolutely james goal. bond is luthan is just like walk in slip a gun out of a, out of his, well, his number one yeah. guy like <laughs> and it, it brings a smile to his face at the same time he's paranoid he's he's absolutely insane at the same time yeah, yeah and yeah. something like that makes him smile like oh you got the drop on me You're, you can't possibly you, you know you can't walk away right these um, little relationships that we're seeing develop like who knows who or who's who's who in the zoo and talked about you know the difference between being a field operative versus clay back in the office you wonder how many like if luthan is a central hub how many cells like cell leaders does he have a face-to-face relationship with i would assume not many that's why my money's on the fact that he can't live through this show luthan right that's an interesting he's thought. too big a player to have never yeah, yeah. to never see again yeah 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 
Okay. Because he goes on, right? Like he I was in the same room, but he didn't know it. Right. Yeah. How many other guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. Like I would love to see, man, even if it's a flashback or something. When you look at these characters, like we've always had we've had like we don't know anything about General Nadine. We don't know anything about General Riken. No, Uh, we know very little about Mon Mothwa. We we know like we know a lot of things like um we're we're learning more about her character, but we know that she's a senator. We we know that she's like reserved and leading a double life, but she's not taking blasters and, and robbing, no. uh, you know, <laughs> so. And Bail Organa, certainly the same thing. We, we've never met a rebel leader like this. Right. Um, who's who, you know, he's like, like I said, he's the sophisticated uh, version of Saw Gerrera. Like he's highly intelligent, super crafty. He's, he might even be the star of the show in terms of like, if you were going to have a spy thriller, uh, Cassian is not James Bond. He's, he's definitely front and center, but yeah. uh, our James Bond is 100% Luthan rail. You know, if we're going to use that analogy, Cassian is the bond we're introduced to at the beginning of Casino Royale. Mm, probably. You know, he's yeah, on his way. Not bad. Yeah. 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 All right, it's early morning on Coruscant, and uh, Edie Karn leaves her apartment. Now, Cyril, who'd left earlier for work, hides on a lower level of their complex, and he watches his mother leave. Then, returning to the apartment, Cyril makes a beeline for an end table containing his mother's safe. Deftly opening the safe, a slide tray pivots out, littered with jewelry. But Cyril has no interest in any of the shiny baubles, opting instead for a metal box about the size of a deck of playing cards. Opening the box, we see a sum of Imperial credits, and he dumps them into his hand, then replaces the empty box in the tray and closes the safe like he was never there. Um, I'm banking on that money is going to, that's how Cyril's getting to That's his ferrets. Yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For um, sure. I guess he's just going to possibly with a, a stop off at Morlana one to pick up his old buddy, the sergeant there, uh, Linus, maybe that'd be cool. Maybe. Um, the question is, what's he doing about his job? Do you think he's just, Sick just, leave. well, there is that there's the legitimate, I'm taking a leave of absence or I'm just not showing up for work one day. Mm. I'm going to clear my name. I'm right. sure he's that probably he's probably too far gone. In that channels, yeah. Yeah. Um, He's probably, I don't know. I, it, he strikes me as a, as a man on a mission and he's probably yeah, losing yeah. sight of what's um, like practical and mundane. Yeah. Uh, so it wouldn't, it wouldn't strike me <laughs> at, at all if he just walked away from that position. Maybe, that, maybe put him at odds with uncle Harlow next season. Well, um, yeah. Another yeah. character I think I'll carry over to the next season. I too. hope so. Yeah. Um, that look on his face as he's leaning against that uh, pillar very much reminds me of the mannerisms when he was uh, holding on to Dedra mm. outside of the the central office, yeah. oh, oh. got that right. Uh, he's creepy. Yeah, he's uh, definitely psycho vibes. Yeah, he's becoming that part of himself more and more. Yeah, when that's all consuming. Yeah, he's got it, go. and, and he's got he's got his own spycraft going on now too. Uh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. And is it all just to like you know earn that respect from his mother? I don't know. Like she's been harping and harping and harping, right? Yeah, I read it. Like if read I do an, this, uh, I'm gonna get my respect back. Uh, an article uh, was an interview with the actor, and he was talking about the character a bit, and he said, "Like uh, that's uh, Kyle Solar, right? Kyle Solar. Uh, above all things else, this the Cyril is 
obsessed with the empire's mandate of of uh, like the on paper if you wrote their manifesto on paper yeah yeah he, he believes in order and he believes in justice and to the point of like being you know nutty about it um and he said that's the sort of central focus um and he 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 turns that flashlight on Cassian Andor as the sort yep. of yep. you know uh, having exposed the flaws in the system to him. Oh sure, yeah. Uh, in that justice and that order. So it was a really interesting article. I'll try to uh, send you a link so we can oh, post sounds it. Oh, fan group. We'll put it up yeah. on our on our stuff. All right. Um high above Segra Milo, uh, Luthen's Fondor Hallcraft pulls away from the planet. Uh, while at the same time, back at the gallery, Clea works away in the back room. Now, a chime goes off on a comm device and uh, connecting Clea to the Hallcraft as she asks, where are you? Luthen, standing in the secret wardrobe on the ship, begins speaking in code, saying that uh, he wanted to reopen the offer. Clearly a metaphor for Saw Gerrera's newfound interest in the attack on Spellhouse. Then, Clea asks Luthen if he closed the sale, and he says that he did although it cost him more than he expected because he wasn't in a position to bargain. At that, Clea supposes that he should just come home, but Luthen says it depends. He tells her that he's curious about the other piece, and Clea asserts that he should just come home. Presumably that's Cassian he's talking about. Yeah. Mm. Luthen asks, is it no longer available? And Clea tells him that it is still on the table, uh, continuing, she says that uh, the negotiations are ongoing and their representatives are involved, but there are a number of other buyers interested and Luthen's presence would only complicate things. Don't go to the funeral. Yep. <laughs> but Luthen counters that they need that piece or they'll have to close shop. Clea says there's nothing more you can do, but Luthen says that's never true. Clea insists that it's a crowded market. But Luthen, who's now grown a little impatient with her, raises his voice as he tells her uh, she needs to think of the consequences of losing the piece to another collector. Clea says she's preparing for every outcome. And as Luthen tries to answer, uh, answer her, the radio signal degrades, eventually cutting out entirely. Clea mm -hmm. calls out Luthen's name as she address, adjusts some of the controls, but it's no use. The signal is gone. If you uh, grew up in the 80s and you ever bought weed off a guy on the phone, you know exactly what they were doing there. <laughs> Is Bob home? What time will he be there? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the signal is gone, or uh, rather, the signal has been scrambled because mm. uh, cutting back to Luthen's ship over Segra Milo, the looming form of an imperial ship lumbers into frame. All right. Um, I spent way more time on this than I should have, but I, I was so thrilled. Um, I This is probably the most anticipated moment for me of all the marketing that we saw um, because I was aware of this ship prior to uh, its depiction here. So I'm like, oh my God, we're going to get a big thing with this ship and it's going to be a big deal. And here we are. And it is. Um, this, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Imperial... Uh, a rest or a cruiser. It is the Cantwell class. Mm -hmm. And uh, technically, technically it appeared back in solo in 2018 uh, in the recruiting video on Corellia when Han and Kira are correct. trying to escape. It's sandwiched between a pair of Imperial star destroyers and you can barely see it, but it is there. 
Designed by uh, Colin Cantwell. Yes. Yeah. It's also featured in a deleted scene from the film where uh, Han is actually assigned uh, to an arrestor cruiser. Um, he's part of the air wing and they've just had a battle with pirates. His TIE fighter is damaged and uh, he ends up crashing it into the hangar. Um, but that made, did not make it into the film. So the, the CG and the rendering on it's not, uh, not final. Now, um, the arrestor cruiser itself, it is an arrowhead uh, shaped Imperial capital ship, except the tip of the arrow is actually the aft and uh, not the front. And uh, like almost every other uh, capital ship, it is manufactured by the Kuat drive yards um, and is a purpose built capture ship. That kind of puts it in the same weird space as the uh, interdictor class uh, star destroyer. Whereas the interdictor is equipped with uh, gravity well projectors that will pull a ship out of hyperspace. The arrestor cruiser is equipped with three RT 17 repulsor tractor beam emitters that can both pull and push other ships now by pulling uh, pull <laughs> by <laughs> by pushing a ship away from the arrestor it could hold the targeted vessel in place making it an easy target for its three heavy twin ion cannon turrets or the arrestors 12 light laser cannons failing that the arrestor could deploy as many as 24 fighters from its uh, two forward-facing hangar bays, one on each of the uh, port and starboard sides of the ship. Now, the arrestor carries a crew complement of uh, 2,770 people, including the air wing and its accompanying stormtroopers. Hank, you hit it, uh, uh, hit the, the nail on the head. It is a design uh, by Colin Cantwell. And for those mm -hmm. of you out there who don't know who Colin Cantwell is you should and uh you're going to get a bit a quick lesson here colin cantwell for those of you who don't know was the concept artist that had uh did like the earliest designs for practically every ship and vehicle that we saw on screen in star wars in 1977 um these are colin's designs for the x-wing fighter the y-wing fighter uh the cantwell uh, tie fighter his version of the Death Star and the Millennium Falcon, although back then it was just called the Pirate Ship, and mm. uh, that design actually would go on to become the uh, double blockade block, runner. Yeah, the blockade runner. Um, ironically enough, the one design that was never changed is the uh, Skyhopper model that Luke is playing with in the garage. That's the a story goes that uh, Lucas thought that that looked too much like Space 1999 to be the the main ship uh, to be the Falcon. So yeah, they, I mean, I redesigned it. I totally buy that as well. Yeah, it fully does. Yeah. So most of these designs would be further iterated by the likes of Ralph McQuarrie and Joe Johnston until they became the recognizable designs that we all know today. Um, so back then, um, the idea. Uh, of a triangular shaped like delta like spaceship was actually intended as a fighter so that's a design that we actually see get recycled later on in the form of the uh, the jedi starfighter the arrestor cruiser folks is the original it is the od star destroyer mm -hmm. Um, so the, so again, the idea of the Delta shaped fighters would be recycled for the Jedi Starfighter and attack of the clones while the dish like weapons were incorporated into the death star and became the focusing array for the mega laser. Hmm. 
So this ship has like a huge, huge lineage. Um, and it's immensely important um, to Star Wars. So I'm really, really happy to see it make it uh, to make a comeback here. Now um, let's blow it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Colin Cantwell, by the way, um, after Lucas decided that uh, the, the triangular shaped ships were going to be capital ships, actually did take a pass at uh, the Star Destroyer. And I've got a shot here. This is the Cantwell designed uh, Star Destroyer, which looks way more maritime can i say that looks more like a mm-hmm. like a world war ii battleship like the, sure the bridge section mm-hmm. um sadly we lost colin cantwell this year uh back in may uh may of this year may 21st actually uh passed away at the age of 90 hmm. so there you go folks um just a quick history lesson on uh, colin cantwell um there's a fantastic youtube channel out there it's called ec henry that's letter e followed by the letter c henry is in h-e-n-r-y ec henry Go check him out. The man is a digital artist. He's done uh, a couple of videos. Uh, uh, he's done one on the Cantwell Star Destroyer. He's done another one just recently on the Cantwell X-Wing where he renders them in, in uh, I think it's Unreal, and has done some short uh, videos with them. Oh, wow. They just look fantastic. That's uh, EC Henry on uh, Please throw up a link to that. I will. I For sure I will. Okay, so um, what are we talking about here? A proximity alert rings from the cockpit of the Fondor as uh, the radio breaks, announcing, uh, this is Segra Milo Imperial Patrol. Please identify yourself, Hallcraft. Taking a seat at the controls, Luthen tells the ship's droid mod that he needs an active transponder ID, preferably from Alderaan. Toggling the radio, Luthen begins to stall by asking the Imperial ship to repeat itself. From the bridge of the arrestor cruiser, Captain Elk uh, announces again, this is an Imperial patrol. Stand by for transponder scan. Well, just then the Fondor droid mod finds a transponder code and feeds the number to Luthen on a nearby display. Toggling the radio again, Luthen reads back to the Imperials. Yes, this is uh, Alderaan 129-12505. Captain Elk orders a crewman to run the number. Unable to see the ship from his viewport, Luthen asks the droid mod what's out there, and uh, it tells him it's an arrestor cruiser, and it's at three clicks, closing. Luthen hits the radio again, and he asks if there's something wrong, and Captain Elk tells him that there's been partisan activity in the area, and this is a known piracy zone. Luthen cordially thanks the captain and says that he'll be careful, but Captain Elk orders him to stand by. He then orders that uh, the tractor beam be activated and he barks to the crewman, how long for the ID? Well, on board the Fondor, Luthen feels the ship shudder as it begins to drift backwards. And jumping up from the pilot seat, he goes to a panel on the wall and he begins to work some controls as he orders the droid mod to initiate a decoy burn on the port thruster number four. On the display, an indicator shows the thruster being revved into the red line While outside the ship, we actually see the thruster kind of sputter and flare. Captain Elk orders Luthen to shut down his engines and prepare for the tractor beam. Sitting back down at the pilot's seat, Luthen toggles the radio and he acknowledges the order, telling them that he's got an engine overheating, so it might take a moment. Then Luthen opens a concealed panel on the console and he arms two, uh, two switches. The droid mod announces countermeasures charging. Meanwhile, Captain Elk orders the crew to do a thermal scan of the Fondor, and a crew woman tells him that there's an aberrant heat signature in the portside thruster. 
Suspecting that something is amiss, Captain Elk orders a boarding party to be prepped before turning his attention back to Luthen's ship and tells him that the tractor beam has been engaged and further orders him to shut down his stabilizers. Luthen looks concerned as he checks the status of his ship's countermeasures, and he orders the droid mod to calculate the arrestor's tractor force. When Luthen doesn't answer right away, Captain Elk asks him to confirm the request. When the droid mod comes back with Tractor Force 2, Luthen toggles the radio and he feigns an apology, calling his ship a one-man show, and he has to do the stabilizers manually. Just then, the crewman on the bridge confirms the Fondor's ID as belonging to the Alderaan Trade Alliance. The executive officer asks if the boarding party should be canceled. The Captain Elk declines, saying they can use the practice. Captain Elk then orders Luthen to prepare for boarding and inspection, while at the same time, Luthen orders the droid mod to engage reverse stabilizers on my throttle. A little bit of language going on here uh, this week on the, the display. We get uh, some Orabesh in the form of the, uh, I guess it's the, the port and starboard uh, thrusters and stabilizer yeah, uh, indicators. Yeah, normal and These are both- gun is armed. These are about the only ones that make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else is kind of blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of jarring. Port engine boost and port in your starboard engine normal. Yeah. We got our uh, tractor force uh, two. I presume X, Y, and Z. Those are axes. Of, I would believe so. Yeah, coordinates. Yeah. yeah. Up, down, forward, yeah. back, I guess. Awesome. Something like that. Uh, where am I at here? Uh, oh yeah, here we go. Uh, jamming the throttle, the throttle uh, forward. Luthen, <laughs> jamming the throttle. Luthen's Fondor lurches forward, tugging at the arrestor, causing the bridge crew to actually have to catch their balance. I yeah, that was that awesome. Was very um, another yeah. fishing analogy, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoa, got a big one. <laughs> the executive officer asks, "What's he doing?" While uh, Captain Elk orders the tractor beam be increased to force five. The men on the bridge are bewildered at what's happening, uh, remarking, does he think he can get away? Another man adds, where does he think he can go? Captain Elk gives Luthen one final warning, telling him to power down now or face full consequences. But Luthen just hangs onto the controls as his ship bucks under the force of the tractor beam. Glancing down at the display, the indicator has reached the full mark, and the droid mod announces, countermeasures armed. And yeah, <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. Because not only are the Orbesh characters upside down, backwards, yeah, upside down and backwards. There's a character yeah. there that I could not identify. And yet the English numbers are in the correct orientation. Yeah, it's weird, eh? Nope, it's bizarre. So. All right, <laughs> here we go, folks. Luthen toggles the countermeasure switches and two rectangular multi-tube dispensers spring up and begin belching out bursts of debris. On board the arrestor, the executive officer asks, what's that? And the metal debris, having been explosively discharged, is now caught in the same Force 5 tractor beam as the Fondor is, and it rains precisely on the forward tractor dish, shredding it like Swiss cheese. Okay, um, the descriptive audio calls this chaff. Mm. And if that's, ex- if that's really what it is, because my first thought when I saw this was, 
holy crap, that's a flechette dispenser, like a flechette launcher. Yeah. Which yeah, I thought ship size whistling birds. Yeah. Uh, that's another good one. Yeah. Um, flechette launcher, that's a real that's a real world weapon where you basically Absolutely. we're talking about a modern essentially blunderbuss, right? We're just mm. chucking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, if it's really chaff, then that makes this like the most one of the most creative uses of chaff ever because in the conventional sense uh chaff is a radar countermeasure that's intended to foil missile guidance systems by you throw up, a, up yeah you yeah. throw up a big cloud of chaff that's bigger than you are yeah, and hopefully the the yeah hopefully the missile goes for the chaff and not for you um which makes sense because okay we'll just sit here in the tractor beam it's all metal. It's going to fly towards it. But then did he hit it intentionally to boost forward? So they would boost. I don't know. Tractor beam making that move. That equal and that opposite reaction. Right? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I just thought it was a flush out launcher, by the way, um, because math is not my strong point, but I've been enjoying doing it in this show. Um, there are 44 tubes per chaff dispenser. There are two dispensers and there were at least 12 pulses of chaff for a minimum of 1056 shards of metal. Mm -hmm. um, no wonder it went. <laughs> one of, the, one of them got my finger. <laughs> <laughs> well, Claxons ring out on board the arrestor as the crew is uh, shocked by the recent turn of events. Exasperated Captain Elk utters, no. While the executive officer blurts out from a Hallcraft, the tractor control uh, uh, crewman reports that the forward beacon is failing more than just a little agitated. The captain says that he can see that as he shouts, where's my air wing? Two TIE fighters burst from the port hangar while a third fighter, along with a TIE boarding craft, join them from the starboard hangar. Uh, passing the camera, the lead fighter opens fire. Onboard Luthen's ship at the same time, the droid mod informs him that the tractor beam is down. So Luthen jams the throttle forward once again, narrowly dodging the incoming blaster fire. Coming about to face the ties head on, Luthen hits a switch and a dual laser turret springs from the top of the ship and Luthen targets and destroys the clumsy boarding craft. Rolling between the three remaining starfighters as he passes by, Luthen target locks a second one and the cannon spins around shooting it down from behind so a new twist on the anakin skywalker i'm gonna roll oh yeah rolling that's a good trick yeah try mm -hmm. that maintaining his uh, evasive roll luthan clings tight to the arrestor buzzing its bridge uh just a quick uh, note here on uh in case you thought it was a tie bomber that is not it is in fact a tie boarding craft um the design is is virtually the same in fact um it was essentially a tie bomber that they used for the mm -hmm. initial design but the tie bomber has the uh the bomb chute on the bottom whereas the uh, the boarding craft doesn't and uh canonically speaking the boarding craft uh, can take uh 20 passengers or two squads of stormtroopers versus the uh, bomber which is just a single pilot although there is a um there is a reference that says that and i think it goes back to rebels where the the bomb bay can be converted hmm. and can take six passengers. Hmm. Cool. But yeah. So yeah, tie boarding craft. Neat. Well, the remaining two fighters. Yeah. What's that? 
Oh, just the physics on the dish falling into the atmosphere of the planet below. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just so slowly and and soundless. Uh, this uh, no, entire sequence uh, was so so satisfying. Yeah, really. Like good. so so satisfying. Well, the remaining two fighters circle back, and uh, despite Luthen's close proximity to the arrestor, they continue firing at him. And as the ships approach each other, Luthen angles the wings of the Fondor upwards like a shield of some sort, while at the same time, uh, these uh, mechanical cylinders extend from the wing struts and they rotate down into place. And on Luthen's uh, control uh, yoke-mounted display, there's a wireframe model of the Fondor with flashing lights where the cylinders are located, a proximity alert sounds, and continuous laser beams, which I akin to a Star Trek phaser, erupt from the cylinders and extend outward out of frame. Luthen puts the Fondor into a barrel roll, and as he passes between the TIE fighters, the lasers cut through them like a hot knife through butter. With the fighters eliminated, the droid mod tells Luthen that they're ready for light speed, and Luthen shoves both throttles forward and jumps away, leaving Captain Elk in dismay at what just happened. So there's a couple of things here. When, with its wings up in that, that elevated position, shield. Uh, the, it looks the a lot. audio calls it a shield. It looks a lot like Darth Maul's scimitar. There, yeah, I suppose it does in a way. It has some similar, and then so we we were calling this the the lightsabers before yeah, we saw yeah, it in action. Yeah, and uh, you know Darth Maul's scimitar, red lightsaber, dual lightsabers. Uh, the I, I way he was dressed on that in that alley. <laughs> so this, there's a this lot is of way... stuff speculation leaning into that yeah are we are we saying that luthan's uh, predilection for historical artifacts that this is the remnants of the scimitar Maybe some, some or, or some some sith, borrowed some sith uh fighter i know i know they, every, well it is a a, a fondor they, they do say fondor hallcraft yeah yeah and and cassian is familiar with it i've flown one and the way uh, that they the way that they talk about it like matter of factly it, it's almost suggestive of like I know I made the joke. Oh, Honda Civic, but that's literally the way that they can oh, yeah, it up beyond whatever. It's like, <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's like Han Solo and Lando didn't know nothing. This guy has souped this right, thing on right. unbelievable. The ultimate sleeper, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the CG in this uh, top notch to like absolutely. Movie, they did not theatrical quality CG. I, I want to just, I want to stick with this for a minute because that early on we all call or most of us that are reviewing the show called it the lightsaber ship mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. i want to just say that there was no audio cue that suggested to me that these are lightsabers there was no 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 you right if you were going to hammer down on that you would have definitely had i for for sure would have had the snap hiss but that's what i would have used and that would have been right. like a, and everybody that thought would have been like <gasps> but that's not what they did the other thing is the the beams they go out of frame, so we don't know how far these things are going. No, 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 no. He just sliced the planet. I <laughs> <laughs> think saw is still down there. Systems. Well, there is that. We have seen tech like this before, and I, I mean, do you, everybody remember uh, the ball turrets on the the LAAT gunships mm -hmm. fired very much like this? Yeah, it's like a steady. And they would just move yeah. it around. Like, yes. More like a traditional laser. Exactly. 
than a, a blaster bolt. I don't want to discount the idea that this, I, I don't think it's a lightsaber, but I do not want to discount the notion because we all kind of were on that same page that we, we believe that because Cassian even says what's powering the ship. Oh, okay. It's fiber powered. Yeah, that I believe. Sure. That being said, that puts him in direct contact with Galen Erso because it's Galen Erso's research that allows Kyber to be used as a essentially limitless fuel source. Oh, he does or he's really good at listening. Or he's really good at listening. <laughs> that too. I suppose so. Hmm. I mean, that is a very specific form of tech that until the Death Star you know right it's just not it's it's not it's not invented it's not discovered yet do you know what i mean like anyway or utilized um uh rogue one catalyst by the way folks that's the book you want to read to figure out the site the to get the scientific end of how kyber works i was kind of looking in that scene with um saw guerrera to see if there was like a young Jin urso in the back ah yeah i know eh? she would have been young maybe we'll get uh felicity jones for season two or three or over for i don't know three seasons i think maybe is what they're talking hmm. Ari- apparently originally we conceived for five hmm. but i'm like what are you oh, wow do? but if you did which makes sense if you did one year per season but they're talking like let's do time jumps well they're talking next well, season, i had heard two seasons and the, there would be a, a huge time jump but yeah maybe they're going to slow things down with the how good it is there was a discussion about how uh next season is going to take us up to uh five days before the events of rogue one that doesn't hmm. leave much no wiggle room no no which means we'll probably uh if we do see felicity jones it'll be not in proximity with cassie and andor no no yeah. i wouldn't imagine anyway um so super super satisfying all you whiz bang star wars fans i hope you were as satisfied with this sequence as i was i mm, love it chef's kiss Ooh, so satisfying all right um Here's our uh, display of the ship. And there are the, the, the blinky blinkies. Mm-hmm. And again, as you were saying, upside down and backwards. And, and that, uh, that G character that doesn't get used a whole lot. No, it doesn't. So I uh, clearly, it's the same spelling on both sides. So we're, we're talking about those emitters, whatever they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Captain Elk, that's uh, actor Roger Barkley. He was in both Johnny English Reborn, where he played Agent two as well as uh, the most recent one johnny english strikes again where he played a different character sebastian lynch Hmm. um our unnamed executive officer that's gethin alderman uh who appeared in the great as uh, jean-pierre and more recently the 355 where he played an unnamed french police officer gendarme numero Well, back on Ferrex at the office of Zanwan Freight, the calm rings. And when Zanwan answers, we hear the voice of Cassian Andor asking, are you busy? Zanwan scoffs as he says, excuse me, who is this? Cassian asks if he's alone. And uh, Zanwan fiddles with some controls as he tells him, I'm not getting picture. When Cassian says that he needs to get a message to Marva Andor, Zanwan realizes that it is indeed Cassian on the line and he calls him by name but cassian is quick to admonish him and he says no names he asks mm-hmm. zanwan to tell marva that he's okay and he's thinking about her he says that she would be proud of him and that he'll get back as soon as possible 
And he asks if Zanwan can remember all that. Struggling with the reality of Marva's death, Zanwan calls him by name again, and Cassian snaps, don't. But Zan tells him to wait. And when Cassian asks what, Zan apologizes and tells him his mother is dead. We then cut to a public uh, phone booth just off the beach on Niamos. Cassian is speechless at the news. Well, just a few feet away, Melshi stares, uh, stares out at the ocean. Cassian exits the comm booth kiosk and Melshi asks him if everything is okay and uh, if he got through. Cassian, still in shock, says, yeah, everything's okay. As the two men stand there looking out over the ocean with the sun setting, Melshi calls it a dream, all this room. He asks Cassian how many he thinks made it out alive. Cassian answers, not enough. Melshi then posits, what if it's just us? What if we're the only ones? And he asserts that someone has to tell people what's been happening back on Narkina 5, and they need to split up to double their chances. Cassian agrees with him and uh, takes Cyril Karn's corporate-issued blaster from the satchel that he's wearing, and he hands it to Melshi. Taking the blaster, Melshi um, reasserts that the people have to know what's going on. The two men then partially embrace, and Melshi leaves Cassian standing there outside the kiosk, staring at the ocean alone. And as we uh, close in on Cassian's face, we cut to black. Boom. Um, before we get to the, the wrap-up on this, uh, did you have something you want to add, Hank, before we... I just Did you, did you notice uh, the way he's dressed, Cassian's dressed there, now that he's lost Marva? Actually, he's I was going to almost identical to the way he's dressed as a boy before he met Marvel. Oh, the color scheme. Yeah. The co- like the yellow tunic with the orange sleeves. I it's, didn't. It's not lost on me. <laughs> I, I didn't because I was too busy laughing at Melshi's shirt and how it's uh, six spoked, <laughs> six uh, spoke things all like the whole pattern. Yeah. Like, dude, <laughs> yeah. like, really? You if couldn't you blur your eyes. It kind of looks like your shirt right now. <laughs> oh, mine is like, yeah, mine's just little hash marks. Um, I want to talk about, uh, Zanwan's shop for a second. Andy, you, you'd said earlier in the week, like, oh my God, there's a bunch of ships there. And I kind of glossed over it. I went back and I watched it again. There's, uh, there's a few screens screens and they keep recycling the same images. And this is where like, I get, I get almost upset with some of these other, uh, review outlets that are talking about this stuff. It's like, if you don't know what it is. Don't, don't say anything because, and I'm not naming names, but there are, there's at least one <laughs> outlet that is misidentifying stuff. And it's like, Oh dude, like that isn't what you're saying. It is. I don't know what it is, but I know it's not what you're saying. It is kind of like uh Luthen's walking stick and people are jumping on. Oh, it's a, it's lightsaber. a lightsaber. Okay. No. Well, listen, I'm not maybe. Okay. So the, I'm, I'm in that camp. I'm there. I'm not convinced that it is but I'm not convinced that it's not. <laughs> We've seen it used once before though. Already. As a stick. That yeah. doesn't mean that there's not anything no. in the other end. No, exactly. Right, right, right. Anyway, I'm going to circle back to Zans for a minute because there is one, there is one that I was pretty confident on. And yes, it is. In fact, um, it is a Cenar shell utilipede transport. Now, um, canonically speaking, one of these ships was converted to a mobile kitchen and it now serves food over at Docking Bay 7 on Batu. Hmm. And that's just a fancy way of saying that it's a restaurant at the Galaxy's Hedge theme park. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that would 
would be a second Galaxy's Edge reference in this episode. Oh, yeah. Because when Sint is working at the cafe on the outside wall, it's got more of that writing. Oh, from the, uh, the the menu? Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Spruced uh, throughout Galaxy's Edge. Um, the, the concept art, I spun it around so it matched the photograph um, and the, the screen. That's actually the screen. Um, and the screen's on an angle, so it looks compressed. But that is it. Uh, this one is, again, it's a Cinar Chal. So Cinar, another company that's uh, w- widely known to make uh, ships for the Empire, but uh, Chal, um, the, you recognize the lineage in this ship? Uh, I want to say it looks familiar. It should because um, yeah. the Chal company is a Nemoidian company. They're responsible for the uh, Shethapede, the Shethapede uh, shuttle. Um, and the Shethapede shuttle, uh, one of those went on to become the replacement for the Phantom in Star Wars Rebels. It's the Phantom okay. 2. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So nice. uh, definite lineage uh, there that we all re- uh, recognize. Nice. And that is where I'm going to leave it. <laughs> Guys, we've got uh, one more episode to get through uh, next it's week. crazy. I am so at a loss for where I think it's going to go for where I want it to go. I've just, I've been riveted watching the show. I suspect that next week will be no different. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where I don't know if my head could make it any better. Like a lot of times I'm like, I wish this could happen and that could happen. Yeah, sure. I don't know that I could make this any better in my head on my own. It's, it's, it's that good. Yeah. Knowing that they've already greenlit season two, I don't think everything is going to tie up in a nice little package. Oh no! I mean, you've got there's there's gonna gonna be a little bit of you've yeah. got dangler you got danglers for uh, for future seasons, right? Yeah, for at least season two. Yeah, um, will we get an Anto Krieger? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. <laughs> well, I mean, when they did the whole capturing of that rebel pilot who they then murdered and staged, we never saw any of that. We just got That's a little briefing in the. Uh, imperial boardroom you know part of me thought that the the meeting between luthan and saw that saw would go through with it anyway and he would you know take the risk and that still might happen although i don't think that's an, a, a real i don't think there's a real good chance of that it'd be like really like curveball because we know he makes it to rogue one so. i certainly want to see it though i do want to see this attack on spellhouse i think that's going to be something spectacular mm. even if mm. it's spectacularly like tragic yeah for the 50 people um but yeah i want to see uh, i want to see how it goes down because i'm curious to know like this this whole like one-upmanship game that's been playing we've got we've got Sinta and corv are playing it we've got now potentially uh dedra and lonnie young are playing it um and then, of course and yeah Fell and Clea, like who's sort of the who's this, who's the step ahead of whom here? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and are we on equal footing? I I don't think we are. No, no. It's funny because we talk about them always being chess players or chess, yeah. pieces, chess pieces on the board. Yeah, yeah, but there's there's always players above that level. Uh, absolutely. You know, yeah, I would say Palpatine is a player on the other side. Who's the, uh, the he's who's the, the Bobby, player? A Bobby could, Fisher. Could Luthen be the player? Well, this is it. That's what I'm. That's <laughs> again when I said I'd love to do a character study, and I think I'll probably I'll probably do a slide for that. I'll put it on our social media. But like the depiction of like yeah, you know Palpatine, that. Senator Palpatine versus Sidious and Luthen yeah. uh, Gallery guy versus the guy in the bowels, of course, not talking right, to uh, right. the ISB agent. Man, it's just like 
talk about uh, two sides of the same coin. That just yeah. the, the metaphor just keeps coming back around. Mm-hmm. Having to use the weapon of my enemy. Well, that seems to be like the recurring flip side of the coin, right? Maybe the spellhouse thing will get more attention simply because we had Eldani. Oh, and yeah. if Eldani is the announcement from the rebels, spellhouse is the uh, the the, the, the counterpunch, I guess, as yeah. a, you might call it, punch counterpunch. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. Supply, yeah. Wow, it's been a, a wild ride. I've enjoyed it immensely. Um, we're a little behind on some stuff. We still want to touch on, uh, and this is just uh, for future reference. We do want to touch on Tales of the Jedi. We still want to touch on that. I know uh, everybody and their dog has probably covered it already, but uh, we haven't. We haven't. So uh, that's still stuff to talk about. We've got the Bad Batch coming up here in the new year, and uh, we've got. The return of the Mandalorian in what uh, February? I believe so. So, so again, yeah. we're going to be like deep into crossover territory again when that oh, comes out between Ahsoka's uh, first quarter next year. Yeah, it's uh, going to be a crazy, crazy schedule for us come uh, the new year. But uh, next week, join us for uh, episode number twelve, um, and then we're going to have a little bit of a break where we can do some uh, other fun stuff. So that will be one it's when we do our Tales of the Jedi stuff. Check us out on Patreon, and we'll do an episode just for yeah, you guys. just for you. Again, uh, don't forget, guys, uh, we are going to do our 100 subscriber uh, contest. That's coming up as well. And again, if we can get 200 subscribers, then both of these brand new inbox Star Wars The Black Series action figures will be Kenobi. up for grabs. But do watch. We're going to post a short video um, probably uh, today or tomorrow. We'll get that up. Um, and it'll have all the details how you can get in on that contest. The short version is we love you all. We, w- we want you to please share the love and uh, uh, push push our stuff on your friends. Like, no. subscribe, <laughs> comment, hit the bell, do all do the things all the kids are things. telling you to That's do. Right. Yeah, yeah, Make yeah. us influence us. <laughs> Again, guys, uh, even if you're not a big fan, you don't want to subscribe, please throw a, like a, just even an emoji into the comment section, just enough to tell the, 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 the algorithm you that you're there. <laughs> but other than that, I've got nothing else for tonight. How about you guys? My episode, uh, my side project. Oh, your side project. Season three is is almost done. Oh, we should probably tell people that. I I keep forgetting that it's it's November. Yeah. So um, for those of you who have been following us, we launched uh, originally back in October. So that means uh, we just wrapped season two. So technically Fandor is a season two show because we started deep into season two mm-hmm. it will be the last of our season two material right. and everything move into after this phase three <laughs> season three yeah season three man and i mean we we don't do our seasons by uh episode count we do them by calendar year so yeah. that's uh that's year good, three good for us we're into year three wow year three so uh thank you for everyone who's been with us uh from the get-go if you're just uh discovering the channel now Again, just great to have you guys on board. Keep sending us your comments. We love seeing you guys in the live streams. And you know what, guys? There's so much more for us to cover, and we're happy to do that. So we'll keep at it. Let's make it a big year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Listen, guys, uh, that's it until next week. And uh, we will be back with, again, the last episode of Andor. So until then, my friends, for Fandom Power, my name is Wes. I'm Andy. 
And I'm Hank. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one, guys. And uh, bye for now. Power doesn't panic.